There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Hello, and welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number one. Today, we're going to be introducing you to the Wired to Hunt podcast and us, your hosts. And then finally, we'll be discussing our single best and worst moments of the 2013 season. Sound good? Let's get at it. All right. So joining me today, as always, is my co-host, the one and only Dan Johnson, also known as Dallas Fort Worth. How's it going, bud? You know, it's it's going pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty excited for this. When you told me there was going to be a podcast about deer hunting, I love talking about deer hunting and all things outdoors, so it's a no-brainer for me. That's good to hear. I'm, I'm right in the same boat as you, too. Pretty pumped. So, that said, since this is our first podcast, I'm thinking we ought to get right into it. So, as I mentioned at the top, you know, I want to do three things today. First, introduce the listeners to you know what the Wired Hunt podcast is going to be about. Secondly, introduce them to you and me. And then I wanted to cover the single best and worst moments of our 2013 season. So what do you think about that? I think I have a lot more bad things about my 2013 uh, season than I do good things, but uh, here goes nothing. (laughs) Good. This might be a whole lot of bad things to talk about then too, (laughs) because I had one of those seasons as well, but what can you do? So first off for everyone out there, I want to give you all a quick intro on what this podcast is all about. So if you're not familiar already, you know, I run wiredtohunt.com. It's one of the largest deer hunting blogs out there, and every day of the week we're posting new articles, videos, and stories that are focused, you know, solely on those things that whitetail addicts are all about. So that's what we're gonna do here on the podcast. We're gonna talk about whitetails, we're gonna talk about strategy, share stories, um, talk about our successes and our failures and kind of everything in between. And then on top of that, we're going to be bringing some of the best whitetail minds from across the country onto the show to share what's going on with them as well. So I think that's the plan for the show moving forward. Dallas, do you think there's anything else that we should uh, warn the, the listeners about in the future? Uh, by no means am I a professional anything, so don't take whatever I say to the bank. <laughs> that's and a pr- as, far as, 
And as far as tips are concerned, man, I'm open ears. I need as many tips about whitetail hunting as I can get. Well, that's a, that's a perfect segue because next I also wanted to talk a little bit about who you and I are. Um, so a quick background on me. Um, I am the founder of wiredhunt.com. I'm 26 years old and like Dallas here, I'm addicted to whitetails. I've been hunting pretty much as long as I can remember. I've hunted across you know most of the Midwest states, Michigan, Ohio, Iowa, Illinois, etc. And I've killed a few nice bucks, but you know, kind of similar to Dallas, I've screwed up probably more than I've ever had any success. So I've definitely got plenty to learn too. Um, in addition to running the website, I also write for different publications like North American Whitetail, Deer and Deer Hunting, and Quality Whitetails. Um, so that's kind of my shtick right now. It's a lot of fun, and it's what I love to do. Now, all that said, a uh, little fun fact here, and something that usually surprises people, is that my two favorite kinds of music are country and electronic dance music. So, <laughs> I don't know. That's, a, that's a, a large gamut you're in there. It is, it is. Uh, people give me a hard time because during the rut, I actually have a CD mixtape that I call the Rut and Rave Mix. And uh, <laughs> it gets me pretty pumped up to head out there and hunt in November. So I might need to borrow that sometime. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. But uh, what's your story, Dales? Well, um... I am 33 years old. I am married. I have a daughter who just turned one, and she is 100% in control of my life. Uh, and that's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess you'd say. But <laughs> she she rules the roost, so to speak. Um, I work for a company that helps build websites. And um, other than that, uh, I lost my right index finger in a horrible industrial accident in 2005 in Atlanta, Georgia, and maybe someday I will be able to share that story on the podcast. But uh, <laughs> we're all interested. Like, yeah, for sure. Uh, but like Mark, I I love the outdoors, hiking, fit. I mean, anything, anything that has to do with the outdoors. And uh, my favorite color is baby blue. <laughs> baby blue it's a good choice I'm, I'm more of a green guy but uh but blue comes into a close second that's good that's yeah, good yeah all right so maybe by episode five or six we'll get a little more about the finger story yeah you know it might even be a two-parter because <laughs> it's uh it just depends on how i feel that day depends on how detailed i get with the story all right. Well, we're waiting with bated breath. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't even know if I know the real story, Dan. I, uh, uh, I've heard different things, but I don't know if I know the real deal. Well, depending on how, depending on how much I know you or how much I, I get to know a person depends on how, what kind of story I tell. I'll tell you a real quick story. <laughs> uh, I was introduced to Matt Hughes, the UFC fighter once, and he saw that my finger was missing and he asked, Hey, uh, how'd you lose your finger? And I said, a snapping turtle bit it off. And before I could tell him the real story, <laughs> somebody pulled him away from me to go, to go in another direction at one of these, uh, archery trade shows. And so now he thinks I had my finger bitten off by a snapping turtle. <laughs> that's pretty funny. So I yeah. guess then by virtue of that, you're saying that that's not the real story. So we can cross that one off the list of potential ways that you lost your finger. <laughs> that is not the real story, but that is the story that is often used the most. It's a good one. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll give yeah. you that. 
Well, good deal. <laughs> we got the introductions out of the way. Um, <laughs> so let's jump right into the meat of what the Wired Hunt podcast is all about, and that's whitetails. Um, so today I really wanted to kick things off by talking about our best and worst moments from last season. Um, I think we both, you know, knowing what I know, we both had an interesting season with lots of lots of ups and downs. So I was hoping maybe that, Dan, you could kick us off talking about, you know, the worst moment of your 2013 season and then maybe something you learned from that. And then I'll share my story as well after that. Well, I tell you what, um, I had a I had a really rough 2013 season. Um, most of it was spent bouncing around probably a 25 acre bedding area chasing three different shooters um one upwards of mid 170s now long story short my vacation come came to an end and um and i had to i usually take two weeks uh this week i had to take one week and then i had to go on a business trip for the second week of uh of the rut now the worst part was i got the opportunity to go uh, an extra weekend. My wife let me go for one extra weekend after the rut was over when I got back November 24th. It was a real cold morning. I get up in my tree stand and uh, it was one of those mornings where no wind, crisp, cold, frost on everything. So you could hear what seemed like miles. Love it. And uh, I did a short rattling sequence. About five, ten minutes later, I hear a crunch, 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 crunch. I look over to my right, and there's a 160, 165 class buck walking right towards me. And I like to film my hunts, so I tried to get him on camera, and I let him walk through two of my shooting lanes at five yards just to try to get him on camera. And by that time, I still didn't have my bow in my hand. He walks off to about 22 yards, and he's hard quartering away. I finally get the bow. I draw back. I shoot him, and he does one of those real hard kicks, you know, that pretty much lets you know that deer's dead. Right, that mule kick. You love that. The old mule kick, yep. Uh, Five minutes later, ten minutes later, uh, I get down. I walk to the impact site. No blood, no arrow. Me and another guy walked for two days straight, gritting, the same property that me and you hunted the uh, the other weekend, uh, shed hunted the other weekend, yep. and uh, we found nothing, and it tore me up. Ugh. Yeah, that is the worst. Yeah, so I uh, I thought I think about that deer every single day, and I you know after the gun season is over, or after the hunting season in general is over, I take corn and I dump it out on some of my hunting hunting properties to see what deer made it through the season. And, uh, he hadn't shown back up yet. So I have a feeling he's dead somewhere and I just haven't found him yet. Uh, I, uh, I remember when you posted that on Facebook last fall and I just, I just felt for it. I know what a, what an awful feeling that is. So it's funny. You mentioned that it was on November 24th. Um, cause I was actually hunting in Southern Ohio on that same day. And it was a great day for me too. Um, at least, you know, condition wise, I remember just like you said, crisp, cool. Um, and I actually rattled in like 150 class that day too. So it's kind of funny now that I realize that's the same day. Um, but taking a step back, you know, coming out of that, what do you think you learned anything from that experience or was there something you were able to take away from, you know, that, 
that uh, occurrence? Yeah. Uh, the way I look at it is if you're going to do hunting and you're going to do filming at the same time, you have to be prepared for failure because I know a lot of guys out there who will go and uh, try to film their own hunts, you know, one man, one camera. And it's impossible because no matter what you plan for, that deer is going to come from an angle where you're not ready. And uh, honestly, it's it's made me question a little bit, do I really want to continue filming my hunts? Because not only did I wound the deer, it would have been by far the biggest deer I've ever shot. So um, it kind of eats at me a little bit from more than one direction. I feel horrible that I wounded the deer, but I have to ask myself where – where are my priorities? You know, do I want to get the deer on camera or do I want to have the deer, you know, dead at the end of a blood trail? Uh, yeah, I can definitely relate to that question, trying to weigh the benefits. I, I do exactly what you talked about, filming my hunts myself. So just me and just my camera. And it is, like you said, it's nearly impossible. Um, it's a royal pain in the butt trying to deal with all that camera gear and everything while you're trying to hunt and get set up. Um, but the one thing that keeps bringing me back to it though, is, you know, the day after or something, when you see a great deer and you get to relive that experience on film and watch it again and show your friends, I just love that so much. It keeps on bringing me back to it, but I can, I can definitely relate to the challenge. That's for sure. And I actually, the last two years I have tried to self film a kill both times I got the kill, but I wasn't able to get it on film. So I still haven't really pulled it off, but maybe, maybe this year we'll see. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. That's the truth. Um, well, that said, then I guess I'll share with you my sob story, um, which isn't too different than yours. Um, and ironically, with this one, I was able to get—I was able to get the film, but not the kill or not the shot. Um, but this was for me a few weeks after your rough experience. It was December sixth, and I was hunting a property down in southern Ohio. Um, I'd been there for the opening couple days of their firearm season and it warmed up. So I headed home back to Michigan. I think three days later, a big cold front was supposed to be hitting. So I ended up turning around and coming back down to Southern Ohio for that cold front. And it was a big snowstorm, like 30 degree temperature drop. I just knew it was going to be good. So I got down there and got to this property and so much ice had been coming down. It was like sleet and ice and rain and snow all mixed together that when I got to one of my tree stands, I was planning and hunting. I couldn't even climb into the tree. Every time I tried to grab one of the tree, one of the tree steps, I would slide right off. I, I eventually was like, I'm going to get myself killed if I try, you know, climbing these steps any further. So gave up on that stand, went to another one deeper in the woods, couldn't get up that stand either. So now I've been to two different tree stands. It's getting, you know, closer and closer to the that magic hour of the night. So I finally decided just to go stand on the edge of the field. As ridiculous as that sounds. I went to the edge of this bedding area where a bedding area and a cut bean field met and I put my little tree umbrella, screwed that to a tree I was standing next to, so I had a little cover over top of me. I attached my camera arm to the tree I was standing next to and then leaned my gun up next to the tree and I kind of hid behind the tree. So it was <laughs> one of the most ridiculous setups of my life. But it's funny, I did an interview that day and I kind of said, you know, it's sometimes it's the weirdest situations like this that end up working out. And uh, it almost did. That snow was just 
hammering down for probably an hour and a half, nearly whiteout conditions. Um, and about an hour before dark, the other side of this field, I saw a dark shape kind of materialize out of that snow and start heading my way. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle. Heart and soils, unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. You know, right away I pulled up my binoculars, and the first deer I saw was a doe. Kind of scanned more to the right, saw another deer, pulled up on that one with the binoculars, and just right away saw this huge frame. Without a doubt, I knew it was a shooter. So, dropped the binoculars, then scrambled to get my muzzleloader up. Um, but you know, I had I had forgotten my scope caps for the gun, so I had a plastic bag over top of the scope. So I pull up the gun, and I'm trying to get this Ziploc bag off of my scope so I can pull the gun up. I finally get that. I'm scrambling to get the gun up and get the camera turned on and everything. It was just kind of a just kind of a mess. Um, finally get the gun up and I'm ready to go and I try to get my rangefinder and I remembered that I wasn't able to find my rangefinder that day I looked all over the place couldn't find it so here I am kind of scrambling on the ground this deer is approaching across this field and I can't range him so I don't know how far away he is but he seems close enough um, now I had sighted in this gun it was a new muzzleloader I had just bought a few weeks beforehand um I'd sighted it in at about 100 yards, so I figured I'd be safe out to 150. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to range this deer. So long story short, I pulled up, he stopped, I took a shot, and he just stood there. And 
didn't move, just looked around. Instantly, I knew I'd missed. I was fuming, I guess would be the only way to describe it. But I scrambled. He was still standing there, so I scrambled now to reload. So I'm stuffing more pellets down my muzzleloader, putting a sabot down. Got another load in. This time, I pull up again. He's still standing right there where you know where he was originally. I assume this was around 100-some yards, uh, maybe a little further. This time, I remember I took my time a lot more. I rested the muzzleloader against the tree, which which I'm pretty sure I did the first time, but I guess I can't remember for sure. But had the gun rested against the tree I was standing next to. Really took my time on this shot. Put it right behind his shoulder and squeezed that trigger, and same darn thing happened again. He just stood there, and I unbelievably had missed this buck, this great big, what turned out to be a really big eight-pointer that we had a lot of pictures of on that property. Missed the darn thing twice. And uh, after about another 30 seconds, I tried to reload again, and uh, he eventually took off running. And I went out there, wanted to check for, for blood while the snow still hadn't covered anything up, and there was nothing. I tracked him for, I don't know, 500, 1,000 yards all the way across our property to the neighbor. Um, and I could see his tracks just fine, but not a drop of blood, nothing. So I uh, I completely biffed it on that deer twice in a row. And this was after, you know, hunting all season, having lots of close calls, but nothing close enough. I think I had like seven or eight really close calls on good deer this fall um, leading up to this point, but I just couldn't pull it off. So when the opportunity finally presented itself and I missed and kind of blew that opportunity, it was it was kind of crushing, I guess would be the only way to describe it. Um, so that was definitely my low point, I would say. Well, you know what they they say, uh, if you've never missed a deer, then you haven't been hunting long enough. So, you know, those, those things definitely happen, man. I've, I've missed deer. I've wounded, you know, you know, the shipwreck story. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a story we'll have to dive into more detail at some point for sure. Yeah, for sure. But what can you, like you said, what can you do? It's, it's part of hunting. Um, all you can do is prepare as best as possible, practice, and um, sometimes things don't go as, as you would have liked. But I guess on that same point, when it comes to lessons learned, um, you know, I, I, I did make a couple of mistakes here. Um, you know, number one, I hadn't shot this muzzleloader out to longer ranges than 100 yards before. So I just kind of assumed it would be okay. That was a mistake. I should have, you know, shot this gun out to 150 or further just to better understand, you know, how that bullet might drop at longer ranges. Um, I wish I had done that. I would have, you know, known a little better if I should have taken that shot or not, Um, even though I didn't have that range finder, which which is (laughs) kind of a ridiculous story. I later found out that after later that evening, I realized that the rangefinder that I couldn't find in my truck or my box or anything, it was just tucked in the pocket of my bibs that I was wearing <laughs> the whole time out there. Uh, I got a thousand stories for you. I mean, <laughs> release, um, rangefinder, you know, you name it. If you need it for a hunt, I've left it in a truck or what I thought, and it was in one of my pockets. So I definitely feel you there. Yeah, yeah. I guess <laughs> maybe we're not the sharpest tools in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah, yeah. But so I wish I'd had that rangefinder. But again, I should have should have known how my gun would have shot a little better than that. And then uh, secondly, I think I just needed to slow down a little more. Uh, my assumption is that I shot underneath that buck. I paced off the distance and ended up being a little over 150 yards. Um, 
but with all the snow, it was just really tough to see and really get a good idea of how far away it was. But regardless of that, I still know that first shot definitely was, was rushed. Um, so for me, I'm constantly trying to find ways just to slow myself down in that moment because I have the tendency to, to just kind of go in this zone. I almost black out at least my natural tendency in, in years past. It's just when the shot comes, my body just kind of, t- kind of takes over. Um, and my mind sometimes turns off. So I've been, you know, working the past few years, trying to control that a little bit better. And I just need to continue to, to improve that process, I think. So I think that's really what I took from this. Yeah, I can definitely relate to you there, man. I turn in, I turn on to autopilot when yeah. uh, I when the shot comes. Yep, and I think that's probably for most people. I think that I think each one of us just has to find that different system of sorts to overcome that. So it's a work in progress, right? That's a fact, man. Always that's, learning. That's the truth. Um, so how about we move on to a, maybe a happier topic, being the best part of our 2013 season. Do you want to kick off with that one too? Yep. Sounds good, man. All right. So although my year did not end in, uh, end in a kill or any kill for Matt, that matter, cause I didn't even get a doe this year, but, um, I hunt a couple properties where access is very important. Um, and, and a couple pinch points where, um, you have to, it just, the, It has to be the right wind to even hunt this area. Well, I've been going at a specific area, and I mentioned earlier, um, bouncing around in this 25-acre little bedding area along a creek system. And I've been walking in for years, and I've seen plenty of deer, but nothing, you know, would come into shooting range. Well, we had an odd wind. And it was one of the last days of my hunt. So we kind of threw a Hail Mary. And uh, we've, we walk into this little, down this little washout, into a bigger creek, walk up the creek, uh, climb a bank to the edge of this field where we didn't think at the time the deer were bedding, but they were bedding there the entire season. And my other access route that I had been taking to get into this point my scent would blow into this grass field and they smelled me coming every day that I hunted in that timber. So what I walked away with with was a better understanding for my property and being able to find a new access point to hunt the same area and probably next year uh, have a little bit better success in that area because of that access route. So learning, learning the, the property and it's just kind of clicks, you know, it's just like, boom, no wonder I haven't been seeing anything, you know, in this area or at least having it close enough to shoot because my scent was blown into this bet, this, uh, this CRP field every day I walked in there and I walked through it in early summer and it was so thick. I just, again, we keep coming back to the word assume. Uh, I assumed uh, they wouldn't be in there, but man, when it comes to hunting, you can't assume anything. And that is, that is the truth. It's, it's amazing how much, it's amazing how much you can, you can kind of learn from those little moments, those occasional moments of enlightenment that kind of change your whole, um, 
assumption upside down. That's for sure. Yeah, it made me feel it made me feel stupid for a second, but I'll tell you right now, this little strip of timber since the day I found out about this. So anyway, I, I walk up this bank, I set up a tree stand, and as I'm setting up the the final, because I do a lot of run and gunning, I set up my tree stand, and before I pull my bow up, I glass out into this field, and there's the probably 175 class buck standing right over top of a doe, and I sat there for all day long watching him fight off bucks coming from the opposite direction because my scent wasn't there. So he ne- the, the deer never came by, the, the shooter, but uh, now I know where I need to be for next year. Heck yeah, that's that's awesome to be able to see that, especially that like tangible proof of yeah. the fact that you, you got it right that time. That's pretty yeah. cool. Now, what about uh, what about your access route? Have you figured out a new access route that's going to be able to get you in there more consistently in a stealthy in a stealthy way that you could share with us what that looks like? Or are you still working on perfecting that? No, I mean it's it's pretty simple. I mean, the reason I can get I I was able to get to it this year was because you know we had a real dry summer, so the cricks were real low, and I was able to walk a crick bed to this hunting spot. Now, if I'm going to have to find a different access route uh, to this place, if the water's high, because there's literally no other way it's on, it's on a peninsula and there's these two strips of timber that come to a portion of the Creek bank where it's washed away and the deer will go from one strip of timber to the other strip of timber and they'll, they'll expose themselves just for that one crossing where there's no timber and where that, there's that washout. And that's where I set up, and that's where a lot of does and, and younger bucks were cruising. Um, it just uh, It's just a bunch of washout. It's washouts and crick systems that, uh, that I use. They're lower points, so you can't see from the – if a deer was in the field or in the grass, they wouldn't be able to see me because I'm way lower than the actual ground level. Right. Right. Yeah. Love those creeks that you can walk in to get access. Those are just perfect ways to get into a stand. Um, I've, there's even a couple of spots where the water is too high for me to, to wade through over in some of the areas that I hunt, but I've actually thought about getting a little kayak or something just to take that Creek right into my stand with a little boat or kayak or something that I think it'd work pretty well. Yeah. So needless to say, I am definitely excited to, uh, Oh, June, July this year, get out there, hang a stand, get it trimmed out. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, the game plan presents itself. But as we all know, game plans change and they can change fast during, uh, during the rut. That's the truth. Now, do you know, do you know anything about that, that 170? Did you hear from anyone if they, if they took him or could he possibly be still around? No, uh, you know, it's hard to tell. I hunt in an area where it's a lot of, and what I'll say, old time hunters. So if they shot a 200 inch, they wouldn't tell anybody. Right. They would, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I gain, I gain access. I don't own any property. I don't lease any property. All the property that I hunt is private ground where I've knocked on doors and asked permission. And I've, you know, built these relationships with these landowners to, you know, hunt their properties. Now it's funny when I go looking for a new property, I'll knock on the front door 
and they open it to say hello, and you'll be surprised how many giants are hanging on the walls of these farmers' houses that they've killed over the years. Yeah. Or one time a, a farmer took me out to his machine shed and said, yeah, uh, I think uh, I think we got some deer here. Shows me a 55-gallon drum full of shed antlers over the years that he's found. <laughs> and the one on top is probably an 80-inch five-point side. Oh, so my gosh. Every year he found them as he's plowing. He picks them up and throws them in this barrel. So that's crazy. <laughs> that's there's so yeah. so so many of these guys. They just don't care about it too. It's just another deer, and they yeah. wouldn't even think that it'd be a big he's deal like it would be to us. Now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Yeah, and these guys, you know, it's all about crops. So, you know, they hunt because they have time during the winter, but during the fall, it's harvest season, and they don't even, you know, they don't even care about hunting because they got other work to do but you know coming back to the positives of of the season is i am a true believer that any time spent out in the woods whether you see a deer or not is a positive thing because i sit in a cubicle for 40 hours a week and probably just like the rest of uh the hunters out there maybe i don't like my job uh, all the way so <laughs> when it's time to just go out and unplug for a while man that's the best feeling in the world absolutely that uh that's so true and that 
you're really good at this whole segue thing, Dan, because that perfectly segues in to the story I wanted to share. Perfect. Um, so thanks for that. Let's hear it. So I 100% agree with you that those moments out, you know, out hunting um, are so great regardless of whether you see a deer or kill a deer. Um, but sometimes I let a part of me forget that. Um, I sometimes put a lot of pressure on myself to to get a deer or to get the film or whatever it might be, you know, with the website and everything. I kind of feel this pressure that I need to quote unquote produce, um, which is a mistake because that ends up, you know, making me enjoy some of my time in the woods less than I really should be. Um, and kind of getting my priorities messed up. So that said, um, you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, you know, I had a season, um, couple months of my season where I just had all these close encounters, but just little things kept going wrong all on the way. I'd see a great deer and at the last minute my wind would, would swirl or had another deer come in and, you know, couldn't get a shot because there was, I had planted a, a certain type of food plot that kind of blocks the visibility from around it. And he got behind this tall grassy stalk area and couldn't get a shot. Um, but one way or another, um, there was always something that went wrong and even though I should have been enjoying the fact I was seeing some great deer and having great encounters, I just kind of let it chew at me and kept, I kind of took a turn to negative town, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, so by the time I got to December 6th and I missed that buck in Ohio, I was really just down on myself and really wasn't enjoying myself anymore, which is a bummer because, um, you know, hunting whitetails is a privilege and it's, it's a wonderful thing, um, that it's almost, it's almost sacrilege to be out there and not be enjoying every moment of it. So that said, fast forward a few days, I've gotten pretty dejected with the season. Um, you know, it's the middle of December now, still hadn't gotten a buck feeling kind of like a failure, I guess. Um, and now it's December 16th. I'd hunted the past four days, um, freezing cold, a lot of snow and stuff up here in Michigan and just couldn't get it done. I saw one of the bucks um, that I've been hunting actually for three years. I saw him three years ago, had some really great encounters, couldn't get a shot. He showed back again on this farm this year, or 2013 rather. I found one of his sheds. I'd seen him, I think, four or five times already that season. Had some close calls, tons of trail camera pictures, but I just could never quite get that shot. Well, December 11th, I again saw him just out of range, couldn't get a shot. So that takes us to December 16th. Um, I actually was sitting at my computer. It was probably one o'clock in the afternoon. Usually that's when I'm hopping in, taking a shower and, um, getting ready to go hunt. You know, if it's a day I'm going to be hunting and my wife came into my office, I was working on an article, I think for the website. And she asked me, you know, are you getting, you going to be getting ready to go out and hunt soon? And I just remember I told her, eh, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm just going to try to get some work done. At least then I'll really accomplish something, something along those lines. And the look she gave me, you know, it could kill. She just looked at me like, who do you think you are? Like, get out there, <laughs> do what you love to do. Stop making excuses um, and hunt, which is a pretty great thing for a wife to say. I'm, yeah. I must admit, <laughs> I'm a lucky guy. So she got me off my tail and I ended up heading out to hunt and I went to a different section or a different property really than I usually hunt. Um, this is on the backside of the 
the main property that I hunt here in Michigan. Um, but I had permission on this piece and I'd heard that a good deer had been spotted out in one of these cornfields. So I thought it might be, you know, this target buck I'd been after. Um, I'd been calling him six shooter because, you know, three years earlier when I first saw him, he was just a giant six point buck. So I thought maybe it was him or this one other deer I'd been chasing. So decided to try to hunt this spot. Um, I didn't have any stands out there. I didn't really have anything prepared. So my plan was literally just to sneak out there along the edge of this field and sit behind a tree or something, kind of doing the same silly thing I did in Ohio and just see what I saw, maybe learn something and try to get a better setup the next day. So I snuck and crawled my way in to this uh, back corner of this cornfield. Um, it's kind of a, a long story, but funny. It was a kind of a big hill that I had to come over. And I knew if I went over top of this hill, any deer that were bedded back in this timber would see me. So to try to not be seen, I crawled on all fours along the backside of this hill and ended up falling and rolling over in the snow. And it was just kind of a whole mess making it happen. <laughs> but but I got set up and I actually was kneeling down behind a tree and like a 50-year-old ottoman somebody years ago had brought an old footstool an old ottoman out there on the side of this field it was all deteriorated and some of the fabric was rotted away but kind of worked as a good little makeshift um blind i guess so i got set up set up there and throughout the evening ended up seeing a bunch of deer a whole bunch of does filtered out and a couple young bucks and finally maybe 20 minutes before dark that deer six shooter that i've been hunting for so long pops out on the other side of the field maybe 400 yards away watched him for a little bit he disappeared um then maybe 10 minutes before dark he comes back the same way he came again still out of range disappears back into the timber heading away um so i was excited to see him again uh, but just like all the other times i'd see these great deer just could not get the shot so i figured that was probably one of the last chances i'd have um i'd have at him so i sat around a little bit longer it got to the point where I couldn't film anymore because the light was just starting to go down. So since I couldn't film anymore, I decided to call it a night and get out of there before any more deer filled the field. Um, so I stood up, started getting ready, and this is where the story gets kind of goofy. <laughs> I had to, I had to take a leak before I left. So I decided to do that just before I walked out of there. It's still light enough to see. Um, still light enough, still shooting light and everything. But I was going to try to get out there early. So taking care of my business and out of nowhere, 40 yards away, right out of the timber line. I was standing in steps that buck. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know how it happened. He, he had traveled 400 yards all the way around to the backside of me. I don't, I don't even know how it's possible, but somehow there he was 40 yards away. I reached for my gun, pulled up and I got a shot at him. So it was just a, it was a crazy, crazy way for the season to end even how that specific hunt went. And I think it was so representative of my whole season. Um, you know, and I think it came down to not giving up, keeping on pushing, even when I wanted to, um, even when I wanted to call it quits, usually it was myself, you know, getting myself up and going. Sometimes it was my wife giving me the extra nudge. Um, but either way, it was so great to finally be rewarded for that hard work and, and persistence. And I think, you know, that's really what I took out of the season is number one, being persistent, pushing through, keeping on, keeping on. And then secondly, making sure my attitude was in the right place, enjoying my time in the woods and uh, not getting so focused on sometimes uh, 
uh, you know, the more materialistic type of things, the kill, whatever it might be. So I learned a ton this season from that perspective and was so fulfilled because of that. Um, for the season to end that way, it was just kind of a dream come true. And it also kind of taught me some important lessons. So that was definitely the high point of my 2013 season. Yeah, that that Bucky shot was a stud too. I love that. I love those brow tines, man. That's the, yeah. the that picture is awesome. It was. He's a cool deer. Not the, not the biggest deer in the world, but he was mature, five and a half year old here in Michigan, and uh, lots of character. So it was neat having so much history that I had with him. I was just uh, so thankful and and blessed that that could happen. So I'm a happy hunter now. Just excited to see what 2014 might bring. You know? Heck yeah. yeah. And that's guys like us, man. That's always. It's like. My wife asked me a while ago. She's like, "Why don't you think of, why don't you think of anything else except deer hunting?" And I, my answer to her was, "Because there is nothing else to think about." <laughs> oh, I know we've got quite the addiction, don't we? <laughs> yeah, it uh, it borderlines on uh, obsessive compulsive at times. I think. Yeah, so I've been told, but you know, I always like to remind my wife and family members, you know, it could be worse. At least what I'm into isn't. Uh, well, I won't drop any other examples, but it could be worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of other examples out there. Yep. That that's for sure. So I think that, I think that's a perfect place for us to, for us to wrap up, Dan. Um, you know, I think this is a perfect example of what the wired hunt podcast is going to be about. Um, like I said earlier, you know, we want to share these stories and, and kind of the things we've learned along the way. Um, and then just talk about the things that matter to you and me, Dan, and to, you know, all the listeners out there, everything about the whitetail, how to hunt them, how to learn from them and how to just have a good time out there in the woods. So, you know, that's the plan moving forward to all of you that are listening to this first wired hunt podcast. I want to thank you you know, so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we're excited for what's to come this year. Um, 2014 is looking to be a great year not just for hunting, but also for Wired to Hunt and this show. So I can't wait for you to hear that. That said, be sure to visit wiredhunt.com slash episode one, where we're going to be posting a few notes from today's episode, including a link to the film from that hunt where I killed Six Shooter. Um, so you can take a look at that film if you haven't seen it already. And then also, if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for our Whitetail Fix newsletter. There's a gray box on the right-hand side of the website where you can sign up to get updates from us and our free guide to the top 10 uh, must-have resources for the Whitetail Addict. Some pretty good stuff. So until next time, thank you, Dan, for uh, for being with us here. We're excited to be continuing to do this in the coming weeks. And uh, you know, to all the listeners, have a great week and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam 
can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.